Stacey Cook, and I'm very excited today to bring you one of the best motivational speakers that I have heard in a long time to the Victim to Victory podcast series. Now, this series gives a voice to those that have overcome adversities of all forms that dare greatly to step into the arena with their real stories, amazing humans that have seen hope and risen above those adversities to become victorious, that now support and inspire others to do the same. We have got a very special friend from the US, CL King. Christopher, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing, Tracy? I'm fantastic. And I want to let you know a little bit about Mr. C.L. King. Uh, Apart from being very suave and dapper, he is a motivational speaker and he's impacting one life, one day at a time. And he has an amazing story. And I know that our audience today is going to really embrace the story. And after experiencing abuse, neglect, homelessness as a young child. CL was placed in group homes and foster homes throughout Northeast Ohio. Um, He has a foster mum and uh, he is an ex-Marine Corps and um, he settled in North Carolina for a while as well, which I've actually been to. Uh, so I know where North Carolina is all the way from Perth, Western Australia. And he, he is dynamic. He's a world changer. He is a thought leader and he has got an amazing story. So draw inspiration, draw motivation and really connect with, um, with CL because He is changing lives. He will take you on an emotional journey with his story and you'll be able to see yourself in his story. I know that he has got some golden nuggets to share with you today and welcome to the Victim to Victory podcast. Thank you for joining us. I cannot believe that I get to come all the way to Australia and not have to leave my home. Thank you so much. What a tremendous introduction, Tracy, and and being a thought leader yourself. I'm just honored that we can share the same virtual space, and it really is a, a privilege of mine to be on your show. Uh, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Now, for our audience, where does your story begin? Because you've done a lot of amazing things. You've been through a lot of things. Where does it all begin for you? Well, it begins a long time ago. It begins 46 years ago, to be honest with you, in the in the great city of Cleveland, Ohio, where I was born and was there with my mom and my dad. But that was a very short-lived relationship. In fact, uh, my dad and mom were divorced within the same time frame that they conceived me. So it was it did, things didn't start out too well for them. And then at age three, I was taken away from my mother because of some she was not watching me or I had gotten away from her and I had consumed some adult beverages to say, and it it caused a bad reaction for me and social services took me away. So that was my first experience going into a foster home at three years old. And that was, you know, it's like, okay, so you start looking at these elements in your life and everyone has pictures 
that they look at and they say, man, you know, this, this is where it started. This is what happens next. But it's like, my life is just like a, a tapestry or a backdrop that I can, I always refer back to it. And I'm just like, okay, so this was important during this time frame. So at three, I went into the first foster home. Then I lived for a time period with my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who happened to be my dad's mother. And I thought things were not bad during that time. But as you grow up and you start to reflect, it was like, oh, man, that wasn't a good time either. Because who takes their grandchild and puts them out in the detached garage with the dogs in the middle of winter? Or who makes their grandchild stay down in the basement, locked down in the basement for hours and hours on end or sleep down there? Who does that? And so, you know, here it is, I'm, I'm looking in this other, this other backdrop now, and I'm just like, man, that was a sketchy time period too. And so then I went to stay with my dad for a time period, and that was like, okay, every son would want to stay with his father. Every son would want to be with his dad. You know, you get to connect with them. And uh, that is another backdrop. It's just like, boy, that was a, that was a fiasco there too. What is going on? Because my dad, even though he was a pastor of a church, he he had a whole bunch of other peripheral problems. And one of them was beating me. <laughs> he, I'm talking about, Tracy, when you talk about somebody getting beat, I'm talking about closed fists, punch in the face kind of beat. And, and, and again, I look at that segment of time that I stayed with him for a short season, and I'm like, why in the world would somebody do that? I remember one time I was a real nervous kid, Tracy, because of all this behavior that was going on, all this, all this aggression toward me. So I had bowel problems. I had all, all those types of issues. One day I had an accident. And I remember filling up the tub. This is back when you had to wash your own clothes and him holding me down in the tub underwater. Now, who does that to someone they love? Who does that to someone they care about? And so these things are embossed in my mind. That's just another backdrop. So then I went to go restay with my mother again. And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe the second time around, things will be better. Maybe I was like 10 years old at this particular point. I went to stay with my mother and it it, it didn't get any better. Unfortunately, it was worse and I was more aware of it. You know, you're talking about drug exposure, uh, illicit lifestyles, physical and sexual abuse that happened widely throughout that time period. I was there not only to me, but to my to my sister. And, you know, at this stage of my life, Tracy, I, I just need to parenthetically insert this that I don't say these things to try to hurt those folks. I didn't ask for this story. You know, my biological mother is still alive, and that's really it on that on on that side. My dad has passed away, so is my grandmother. I don't say these things, or I don't I don't use this backdrop of mine to try to hurt them or or tarnish the family name. The reality is is that that's just what the reality was. There was no getting around it. Yeah, and a lot of people do, do, don't they? Um, and and sometimes it's generational. It stays in our four walls. You don't tell anybody. Right. Um, just keep it in the family. Um, and and you kind of keep those secrets. Is that kind of what it what it felt like at that time? It did. You know, just looking back on it, I know that there is a lot of generational issues on the King side. My last name is actually not even really King. If I was named after my dad, it'd be Sharp. So my mother named me after her. Well, when I lived with her for that, so that for that segment of time, I mean, you're talking about kids having to run drug money and, and eating in soup kitchens and homeless shelters and walking around on the street all hours of the night. 
parents, my mom and her husband in and out of jail. Me and my sister left by ourselves to fend for ourselves. It was, it roaches piled up to the ceiling. It was an absolute, I can remember it vividly. And this is what I tell parents that you don't think your kids remember this stuff, but it's, it's etched in their mind. And so one day her, her husband went to this, how it all started. Her husband went to a homeless shelter and brought back a brownie, Tracy. He bought back, he brought back a brownie. My sister and I were starving. And I remember seeing that brownie in the refrigerator and there was nothing else in there. It was one of them old green refrigerators. I remember it. I, I can picture it right now. And that brownie was calling my name. It was saying CL. And this was before I was CL. And I went in there and I snuck in there and I snuck a piece off, took another piece, took another piece, went back, reformed it, took another piece, took another piece till it was gone. And my mother said, who ate my brownie the next day? I told my sister, I said, I ate it, sister. I'm sorry. I was starving. But my sister wasn't going to tell on me. That's why I love her so much. She didn't tell on me. But my mom said, I'm going to beat you guys every day until someone tells me who ate my brownie. And what we got whooped with was it was the material that a fan belt is made out of in a car. So when you got hit with it, it it pulled your, your skin off. Here I am, 47 years old, and I still have marks from that 37 years ago. And I said, I'm not getting whooped with that no more. Not, not that that's not happening to me again. I realized that there was something more to life. I knew it was, I knew where I was at and I knew that this wasn't right. So that very next morning I walked up, I woke up, got out the front door, left the front door wide open, kissed my sister, kissed my baby sister and left and stayed on the streets. Never went back. How old were you then? 11. 11. Wow. 11 and did you know what the streets were? Did you know what, what, what you were getting yourself into? I did not, but I did know that, that, that I did have some savviness because remember we ate at soup kitchens a lot. So I, I knew how to negotiate that particular piece. I still went to school from time to time. And guess what they gave me at school when I showed up double breakfasts and double lunches. Cause I was severely malnutrition. I remember kids would, I'd be walking and, and, and meet some kids in an apartment and they would push bread through the fence for me, ball it up and push it through the fence. Or a, another kid would give me a boiled egg. Th- this is reality that happened. And through time, I don't know, remember the exact exchange, but I got put back in social services. So they said, we're going to put you in a group home. So I'm, I, I had left all of that physical, sexual, mental abuse, get put in a group home. And just imagine I'm the youngest kid there. Those kids there were 16, 17, 18 years old. So just imagine what happened to a kid at that age that was that, that young. I can just pause for your audience because you guys can just finish the rest for me. So they took me out of that group home and said, well, can you go back? Can you go back to your grandmother's house? Went back to my grandmother's house for maybe just a a couple months. It did not work. It was at, you know, I just was like, I'm better off living out on the streets. They put me back in the group home. Then they sent me to a foster home. So this is my second foster home. And things were things were getting better, but I got exposed to things not be necessarily because of that foster home, but just because of life. Two ladies who were in their forties, and I was in I was twelve, thirteen at that time frame, took me and my foster brother in and exposed us to things that a twelve year old should not be exposed to. Can I just tell it like that? Very, 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 very. Uh, illicit activity for a 12 year old. So then I got taken away from that foster home and I got put into the foster home. This is my third one. Now 
Paul and Ruth Plowden in Lorraine, Ohio. And Miss Plowden, who is my mom, I call her Mom Plowden. She's passed away. I preached her funeral. She said, Chris, you can take all of that stuff that you experience and use it as an excuse. You know, your 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 sexual abuse, your physical abuse, the, the multiple group homes, the multiple foster homes, the living on the streets. You can take all of that and use it as an excuse or you can use it to change the world. And I said, okay, Mom, I'm going to choose option B. And I decided to, to use it to change the world. At age 18, I traveled over to, over to Belden, England and spoke before thousands of people as an 18-year-old. I worked at church on the North Coast, leading an inner city ministry with 300 kids every week that we brought in from the city. Kids just like me and church on the North Coast taught me how to do it. Then I flew off to the Uncle Sam's United States Marine Corps, married my bride. We got married, settled here in North Carolina, have seven children, and the rest is history. Wow, that is a lot. That is so much. That is so much. And first of all, I'm sorry you've had to experience that, but I I love your attitude of gratitude for embracing your own story and, you know, the way you tell it as well. I mean, we get used to telling our stories, but although your story is unique to you, it's not un- uncommon in areas as well. So there's so much relatability there for people. And I love how you really have embraced your own story and listened to your mum's uh, word, words of advice of we can either choose to hold up that victim card, can't we, and go, right. look, this everything in the world that's happening it's everyone else's fault because of xyz but you've chose to hold up the other card and say you know what i'm going to embrace my story i'm going to tell my story my story is me this is what made me me and now you're going on like you said through um the youth work and things like that as well you're helping other people just like you because you can because of your story that's, How amazing is that? You know, that's exactly right, Tracy. There's, I can tell people this, man. Folks can argue with your methodology. They can argue with your theology. They can argue with your doctrine, but they cannot argue with your experience. And that's what I take. I take those years of experiences and now utilize that to inspire people in their experiences and say, listen, it doesn't matter where you are, no matter the adversity, you still can make it. Listen, I've spoken almost four over, I say almost, now it's over that now, 400,000 people. Who would have thought a kid that was eating out of trash cans and walking around town, homeless, disheveled, would do that? Uh, I'm, our, what we're seeing in, in the growth of our company and the reach that we have is only by the grace of God, and we thank him for it. But I will tell you this, that that same tenacity that it took to say I'm not going to live like that is now what I inject into people's lives. So in other words, when you hire me as a speaker, you're not going to get this fluff power. You know what I mean? It's not going to be this marshmallow kind of thing because I didn't go through marshmallows. I tell you that it was a crucible, Tracy, a crucible of fire that said, man, we're going to forge you into this man. So sometimes I'm loud. Sometimes my veins are popping out of my neck. Sometimes I'm jumping off the stage to inspire people, but I want them to know that man, no matter what you've been through, as long as you got breath, you can still make it. Were there any, that's so powerful. Was there any time that you, while you were experiencing all of these things at every turn point, was there a time that you actually knew you were made for more in your heart or in your head? Did you think I've just got to ride this out. I'm made for more. 
Well, here's the deal. During those time periods, you don't get necessarily exposed to like a mentor or, you know, positive. It, it was it was poverty during those times, especially living with my mother. It was extreme poverty. So you don't get to see, OK, what could be possibly next. But I do know that I felt like God was saying there's more to life than this. Like, I didn't know exactly where I was going, but I said, this is not it. That's why I had the courage. I had to take the courage and the courageous step. I mean, I've become a runaway at 11 years old, but I said, man, I know that there's something more to life than this. So I think, I think subconsciously I realized, man, that, that I can't allow myself to settle here because if I settle here, then I'll never get the fulfillment of what I'm supposed to do in life. And yeah, I don't suggest kids go running away, but I will tell you this, it was because of a brownie. And that's going to be the title of my book, Who Ate My Brownie, right? It was because of a brownie that it set in motion the rest of my life. That one decision, this is why I tell young people, this is why I tell moms and dads, this is why I tell people listening, your vast audience over there in Australia, listen, it could be one decision that transforms your entire life. My kids eat good today because I ate a brownie one time, Tracy. I've got goosebumps. I've literally got goosebumps. That is amazing because it is. I call them sliding door moments. Right. It's that one decision because if things don't change, things don't change, right? Right. It's that one decision. And the way that you're inspiring people with your story, through your story, with that brownie story. And every time I see a brownie, I'm going to think of your story now 100%. And <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to that book. Yes, ma'am. But if things don't change, things don't change. And it doesn't matter where you're at. You don't have to be 11 years old. You could be 47 years old and you still have to look at what the next step is. You still have to think there are no options. I have to make my own options. Right. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and, and I see that, you know, I go back to my city, not nearly as much as I used to, but when I go back to the city, I see some of the same people sitting in the same, sitting on the same porches with the same brown paper bags that that's been there for 35 years. Listen, I don't knock them. That's just, that's just the situation of life. But I will tell you this, that I, I know that life is made up of choices. My foster mom did not allow me to make excuses. She was tough. She was a drill sergeant. My foster mom was absolutely awesome, but she didn't, she didn't play no games because she had 83 foster kids over 30 plus years. And we was all kids from the hood, right? So my foster mom, she ran a tight ship and, and there was something about that that I gravitated to the structure, the, the rigor. She, you know, she made us man up and be real men. And, and I honor her for that to this day she, because the any measure of success that I have is directly to re- related to Paul and Ruth Lowden. What an amazing lady. And she's obviously changed so many lives as well. And, you know, when the student is ready, the master appears. And obviously that was your foster mom. Yes, ma'am, it was. (laughs) That is absolutely amazing. What kind of message would you like to leave our audience on today? Well, here's the deal, okay? It doesn't matter what continent you are in, because I know that all of our continents have been impacted by this global pandemic. And we have seen over the past 16 months the mortal combat of divisiveness and people's at one another's throats over politics and masks and, and so much more, right? 
But I want you to understand that you cannot get distracted by those things. Those things are not our higher purpose. Okay. Though we're supposed to be socially distant to stay safe from the virus, we're not supposed to be socially distant from humanity and humanity's needs. And if I can leave you with anything, I want you to know that the current climate of the world is not an excuse for for us to withdraw from being humanitarians. It's important for us to remember to, to think about our fellow man. It's important when you see that person sitting on the curb, maybe holding a sign, that that voice that speaks to you that you should go stop, you should go stop. We can't become so withdrawn and we can't become so scared of human contact that we've forgotten what our bigger purpose is. See, the bees, Tracy, their whole existence, the honeybee, their whole existence is for the furtherance of the hive. It has nothing to do with the individual bee. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in our individuality that we forget about the hive. And it's time for us to start looking back at the hive and take care of our fellow man. That's what I would say. That is absolutely fantastic. And where where can people contact you as well if they want to know more about what you do or hire you as a motivational speaker? Look, you got to hire me and bring me to Australia. I'm telling you, I will come and we will we will set the stage on fire, sister. But all they, all they yes, got to all they got to do all they got to do is just go to clkingspeaker.com. I've got a whole bunch of courses that we teach, t- teaching people how to get their life in gear, teaching people the grind mode mentality to really go to the next level. Uh, we, we've got merchandise. We've got everything, man. You, Of course, you know my podcast, which is on downloaded in 37 states, 23 countries, and on 24 different platforms. Our podcast is Impacting Life 24-7, which we're going to have you on. And th- that podcast is a platform designed for others to come and do exactly what we're doing here, make an impact on somebody else with your life story. And so the Lord has been so good. We're very, very blessed, far better than we deserve. And that's how people can reach me, clkingspeaker.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You're an inspiration. I know how much you have impacted on my life being the reason to get up every morning to inspire others to motivate people and be the change that the world needs more than ever so thank you very much for being brave to share your story we'll be sharing where to contact you as well you're so appreciated you can find the victim to victory podcast series on youtube spotify apple and our facebook group please subscribe share and comment to help be the change that the world actually needs to see and believe in. So let me leave you with a message as well of figure out who you are and do it on purpose. Thank you very much, CL King. Thank you so much.